What is up? This is Football Life Presents the Audible. I am your host, Randy Hammond, alongside my co-host, Matt Bushnell, ready to talk some Week 10 football. Matt, first off, a little housekeeping. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, Randy, you know, I think having witnessed what I witnessed last night, it's not good. It's not good. Not good. That is a little foreshadowing because we will break down the Monday Night Football game from last night featuring Matt Bushnell's Chicago Bears and each and every other game from Week 10, which I enjoyed. The balance from the early games and the late games, two witching hours. Two witching hours, technically, if you're a red zone guy like me, the second one would be better than the first, but still, I'll take it. I love a full day full of football. We're going to break down each and every game, talk about some injuries that happened over the weekend, and preview Thursday night football, which is a doozy, Matt. It is six and three Cardinals against six and three Seahawks, and it is the NFC West up for grabs. Can't wait for that one. But let's, Matt, we're going to have to start off. I know you don't want to do it, but we're going to start with Monday Night Football and your Chicago Bears. Once 5-1, five and one, I believe, Chicago Bears, now 5-5, five and five, losing to the Minnesota Vikings 19-13. to 13, And I'm just going to give you the floor, my friend. I think at this point, what else is there to say? We knew offensively that this team was going to be limited this year, going in with Mitch Trubisky slash Nick Foles. I thought Nick Foles would have been the better option this year. The, the offensive line's completely decimated. Your best offensive lineman, James Daniel, done for the year with the torn pack or biceps. I forget which one it is. It doesn't even matter at this point. Um, I feel Cody Whitehair is playing out of position. They have an undrafted free agent and Alex Bars playing left guard last night. Uh, Rashad Coward playing right tackle. Charles Leno playing left tackle. It, it was a mess. But you saw encouraging things to start the game off. Because the Bears, you know, Nick Foles had a pocket. He actually had a fucking pocket last night to throw from, and he still can't make the throws. That pass to Anthony Miller, one, either don't throw it or you got to get the ball down. Anthony Miller's not a tall guy. Why you choose to throw to a five-foot, ten-wide receiver running across the middle when obviously they're playing zone coverage, a form of cover three, cover two, you know, a little mix in there. It just sets up for disaster. And Nick Foles has shown us the past two or three weeks that he's not there. He's not the quarterback right now. I don't know if you go back to Mitchell. I don't think it matters. This offense is so limited with the running back position that they put Cordell Patterson back at running back. It's bad at that point because you don't have anything to stop to set any tone. Either they don't care about running the football or they can't block it up. But it gets to a point where it's just simple. Block the man in front of you. Kick him out. All this trickery and all this bullshit, I, I, this team could easily go 5-11. and 11. They, they might because we were talking about a pre-show. You get the Packers twice. Those are two losses right there. So right now you're staring at 5-5. Five and five. You're now 5-7. and seven. Detroit, I, I like Detroit against the Bears. So now you're looking at five and eight. You got another game against the Vikings. All of a sudden, you're five and nine. So you got to win two more games to get to seven and nine, kind of where you had the Bears, you know, in the in the preseason rankings, which is, you know, I I, I can't dispute it now. It's right in front of your face. And then the last two games, you got the Houston Texans, and then you get. <laughs> Yeah, Jacksonville Jaguars. And we saw this past Sunday with the Jaguars and we'll get into that Packers game. They were feisty against the Packers. And we're talking about with the Jets, it's more play calling than talent. You know, I, I, I think the Jets struggle from a solid type of play calling. The Bears are right there with them. 
I don't want to say the Bears lack talent in certain positions, but they have the worst offensive line in football. They have the worst quarterback situation in the entire NFL. I don't even think it's close as far as when you look at the talent at the quarterback position, the Bears have none. So then we go take a look at, okay, what can this offense do? It can't run the football. It can't pass protect long enough. And Nick Foles can't stand in there and make the throws. Matt Nagy has been the source of a lot of issues for this Bears team when we talk about drafting offensive players and we talk about Ryan Pace. Pace, for everything that we get negative with him, we also get a lot of positives. He built this defense. He did the MAC trade like we talked about. Roy Robertson-Harris, Blyle Nichols. I mean, he's built this defense. Why doesn't the offense look the same? Is it Ryan Pace being the talent evaluator missing on offensive players? Or is it Matt Nagy, the head coach, who is not developing the offensive players? They have two great defensive minds, Vic Fangio to start this rebuild process with John Fox, and then, you know, Chuck Pagano. Now, I think both are really good coaches. Nagy at this point has to go. I can justify keeping Ryan Pace, but you have to clean top from the organization. This is not a good organization to be in. Do you let Ryan Pace get three head coaches? I don't think you can because that just – it, it, you're going down the same road. So, granted, he didn't get to choose John Fox. I was kind of thrusted upon him. But it, Matt Nagy was supposed to be his guy, Randy. He was supposed to be the guy. So, here's how you fix it. You know, you, you don't need to go too far to take a look at, okay, who do I want to run things? Obviously, I, I like the guys in Pittsburgh. I think you could go, you know, even to Green Bay, pluck somebody from Green Bay. Th- there are guys out there. But I think what the Bears need to do, and I know a lot of people are going to hate this idea, but you go get John Harbaugh. I'm sorry, Jim Harbaugh when he, when he leaves Michigan. Because that defense, you might be able to squeeze a year or two out of it. You might be able to keep Trubisky. And why Jim Harbaugh? Because if you keep Mitch, Harbaugh has been proven to work with quarterbacks that can run this type of system. And I think Mitch can run. Although I don't blame them if they draft a quarterback. But you have to get Harbaugh in here, first of all. College is a different beast. I think Harbaugh's a better NFL coach than a college coach. I don't trust him choosing the ingredients to cook with. But you go get Harbaugh. You start fixing that offensive line immediately. I would say go get Dak Prescott. You know, who cares if you have to give up two ones? But the offensive line is so bad, I think you have to address that in the draft. And you can't afford to give up draft capital. So you let John Harbaugh start crafting, I'm sorry, Jim Harbaugh. Both Harbaugh's are really good coaches. I, I like both of them. But you start developing identity. You, you let this team start to grow. So that way you don't see your, you get you kicked right in the mouth against the 30th ranked defense in the NFL with the Vikings. I mean, this Vikings defense is not anything special. I, I don't go like, oh man, this Vikings defense is really good. But the Bears are so bad right now offensively, we're talking historically bad. I've lived through the Jonathan Quinn days. I lived through the Craig Krenzel days, the Chad Hutchinson days. Should have stayed with the Yankees. He might have made it to the Major League Baseball at third base. But it's just, for everything that Matt Nagy was supposed to be, he is not. He Every year, this offense has gotten worse. 2018 was a mirage. Fool's gold, because guess what? That defense put you in miraculous field position. All those trick plays out the window. They don't work anymore. You had players, every player on this offense has basically regressed. And that's a product of coaching. 
So I, I would like to see them go get Jim Harbaugh. I think Jim Har- uh, Harbaugh for all the issues in Michigan, and there are a ton, and they did get embarrassed on national television against Wisconsin this weekend. Uh, he offers some sort of professional pedigree. I think he's a better professional football coach, as you said, than a college football coach. I don't necessarily think it is even his coaching ability at that level. I think it's his recruiting ability. I think recruiting is a whole other monster that you have to take into consideration when it comes to college. So I like the idea here. I think if the Bears wanted to make a splash with a big name, Jim Harbaugh is the way to go there, but then who are your coordinators? Are you sticking with uh, your play callers now? Because I think you need to surround him with better uh, play callers on both sides of the ball. I think on defense obviously is okay, um, but the offensive side of the ball, you need to bring in someone with a little bit of creativity, someone who knows how to get guys in space, someone who can make the most out of the least. And that's typically how you, uh, how you're going to succeed, especially with the bear situation right now. Yeah, I just go in it and I let Harbaugh choose his guys. I, I'm not going to force anybody on Harbaugh. If he wants Pagano, he can have Pagano. If he doesn't want Pagano, you know, say, say goodbye to Pagano. It, that, that doesn't matter to me. I do agree with you. I think Harbaugh is smart enough to surround him with people that are not yes men. And I think that's like, let, let's just take a look at this Bears coaching staff. Matt Nagy brought in Bill Lazor connections with the Andy Reid coaching tree. Why did he get fired out of Miami and Cincinnati? Because he didn't want to run the football. Pass, 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 pass. John D. Filippo. Pass, 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 pass in Minnesota. Mike Zimmer got rid of his ass mid-season. He, he wanted nothing to do with them. So they bring in Stefanski, run the ball, get balanced. We see with Matt Nagy. Pass, 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 pass. He brought in a bunch of yes-men. There's no one in there to stop Nagy at Nagy. And I, like I said last night, I don't even, it, it's not play calling that's not the issue here. It's what's in the playbook. It's what's in the scheme. And the scheme is not built for this team. And Nagy has not once, not once gone out of his way to fit a scheme around Mitch Trubisky. Do I think Mitch Trubisky can win in the NFL? I, I Maybe. I mean, he won t- uh, 11 games in 2018. Granted, I'm going to give the defense the majority of the credit there, but we saw Mitch at his best when he's rolling out of the pocket, when he's running, throwing on the move. And Nagy just doesn't want that. He doesn't call those plays for him. I don't care if I'm rolling bootlegs 90% of the game. If it's working, it's working. And hey, if you can't stop it, I'm going to keep on calling it. This situation is just, it's getting beyond repair. I think Harbaugh would be the guy that would be able to say, you know what, let me go in here and let me surround with guys. Let me surround myself with guys that will tell me how it is, not what I want to hear, because that's not, this is not solving it. Nagy keeps on going to the podium like, well, I don't, you know, you know, we're looking for answers. We're searching for answers. Shit, it's too late. The the questions have already been answered. You're failing. Get the fuck out. Yeah. I would say uh, I'd like an Eric Bieniemy for your situation, but you already have an Andy Reid disciple that's not going well right now. So maybe it's not a great idea to bring in a guy like that. I know they're different coaches, but maybe you want to try something different. Uh, Chris Frederick in the comments section, he says pass on Harbaugh, but he's be interested in a guy like Pat Fitzgerald, who has actually made a pretty respectable program at Northwestern. Uh, give me your quick thoughts on that. I, in this situation, I don't think you go for the new shiny toy. You need something that's proven, something that we've seen that has worked to give this some credibility. If you bring in a Pat Fitzgerald or an Eric by enemy, we don't know if it's going to work. You know, we don't know what they're going to bring in. We don't, we haven't seen their philosophy per se. Um, Fitzgerald, more college oriented, but Northwestern has had really bad offenses. It's not like, 
you know, he's been lighting the world on fire. He, he has a good defense. I think he's a good leader of men. I think college is his niche. You know, there's uh-huh. nothing wrong with being a college coach, but the bears, you need an NFL head coach. Now you need somebody that's been there. That's done this. Harbaugh's been to a Super Bowl. Harbaugh's been to NFC championship games. He he's been through these things that have tested his metal. And that's the guy I think you go with because the time for excuses are up. You know, if you're going to be a big boy organization, go with the big boy higher. Yeah. All right, to wrap a bow on this Bears conversation, uh, not a great night offensively, which has been the theme all year. You barely crack 150 total yards on the on the uh, total. Uh, Nick Foles, 15 and 26, 106 yards and an interception. Tyler Bray coming in late after Foles' uh, injury, uh, he goes one for five, 18 yards and rushing. You have less than you have 41 yards rushing total. That's not going to get it done in the NFL. You're not going to win games that way. Uh, Allen Robinson's really your only bright spot for the most part. And he only had six for 43 and they even falls force feeding him the ball, giving him nine targets. He can't produce much more than that. Yeah. And uh, the, the other thing, they may lose Allen Robinson. Well, why does Allen Robinson want to come back to this mouse? Yes. I have a spot, a uh, nice cushy spot for him in uh, the Meadowlands in New Jersey, if he's interested. Uh, <laughs> and congrats to uh, the bears because they gave Kirk cousins his very first Monday night football victory before this game. He was Oh, and eight and he'd not be, was not particularly good in any of those games. He goes 25 and 36, 292 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Dalvin cook, you kept him in check 30 carries, 96 yards. It's a pretty respectable day on both accounts. Cook getting that many yards, but also the bears for holding him down considering how well he played before that. And Justin Jefferson, my guy, eight catches for 135 yards. He really had uh, gave the Bears defense the problems all day long. All right, you're not going to win games in the NFL playing that uh, poorly of offense, despite how good your defense is, Matt. But uh, we have another primetime game we're going to shift to now, and it is the Sunday night football game. And it's one that I I don't predict upsets very often, and I got that game wrong because I said your Bears was gonna we're gonna win that game, but I did say the Patriots were gonna beat the Ravens on Sunday Night Football, and they did, and all helps. Uh, thank you to a monsoon, which always seems to be in New England's favor. What happens in New England? Why do they always get the weather the weather benefit of the doubt here? <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a pretty crappy place to live from all accounts from what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, I mean, you get nor'easters. I mean, you're going to get hurricanes. I mean, there's all sorts of weirdness coming out of that uh, northeast sector of this great country. So we take a look at the perfect setup for, you know, this Patriots to come steal a win. And my God, I mean, this this was theft. Yeah, I think that anytime like you go to New England, this is why they always benefited from having a uh, home field advantage. They're just accustomed to the, the cold and the wind and the rain, uh, similar to, you know, the climate in MetLife for the Giants that they, God forbid, ever had home field for anything. They never do. But uh, teams that play in domes or southern teams, maybe any warmer climate in general is not going to be comfortable playing in that. And I'm not saying Cam Newton is or even this this version of the Patriots are, but they at least are more so than the teams coming in. And you saw it in this game it felt like the Ravens were not comfortable playing in this monsoon to me that these are very similar teams except the Ravens have a lot more talent when they're healthy the Ravens are banged up coming into this game I noticed that when things are going right both of these teams play very well because they run the ball they benefit off a of play action pass they can run RPOs and when they're down it feels like they're down for good uh, even a, a three to seven point deficit it feels like both of these teams are in trouble uh, you get that vibe. I feel like most defensive teams that have strong running games are built that way. 
Yeah, I mean, it's what you see because a lot of the money is tied up into your defense if you're going to be really good. I mean, Baltimore with Kalias Campbell and um, drafted Patrick Queen. I, I'm forgetting the other guy. Um, they just got him. Najoku. Oh, Ngakwe. In Ngakwe, yeah. So, Najoku for the Browns. Looking ahead. Anyway, um, the, the Ravens, <laughs> I, you know, I'm trying to put my finger on what's wrong with this team and – Lamar Jackson from being the fantasy star last year it's really coming into a situation where you don't even want to play him because there's no reason against this Pats defense that he shouldn't have put up really good numbers I mean I think four or five guys opted out that were starters on this defense before the season even began and then naturally attrition kicks in and guys are banged up and hurting I mean it just you look at Bill Belichick and he wins games like this. I know we talked about, you know, tanking for a great quarterback. You know, that's what Bill might try to do. But at this point, I, I don't even know if I could question Bill Belichick and anything that he does. He outcoaches everyone. New England is a tough place to play. And now John Harbaugh searching for answers in Baltimore because his star quarterback, the one that he had um, Greg Roman come in there and design a scheme for him, it's not working anymore. The, you know, when you can't when you can't pass accurately and teams know they just have to stack the box to stop you from running. Granted, I know they have offensive line injuries. You, you still got to throw the football in this league accurately from within the pocket at times. And Baltimore just can't do that. Yeah, I actually think Lamar played OK. He was 24, 34, 249 yards, two touchdowns. He had a pick and 11 carries for 55 yards on the ground. I'll tell you the big problem is Lamar has accuracy issues big time and he can't throw on the run as well as he can in the pocket. He's still not the greatest thrower in the pocket, but the biggest problem is that their number one receiver is Willie Sneed. They have no playmakers. Hollywood Brown is hit or miss. He has not played well this year at all. They brought in Des Bryant who didn't even play at all this game. And that feels like a, a stretch anyway, considering he hasn't played more than three years. Um, Mark Andrews is a good tight end, but he had seven for 61 in this game. You need to help this guy and get him some weapons because you need a guy who's going to help make plays when even the ball isn't thrown perfectly. And I think that like a lot of quarterbacks benefit from having elite wide receivers. And we're going to talk about a great play made by a wide receiver later in the show, but Lamar Jackson, doesn't have a lot of great playmakers on the outside to get the ball to at the end of the day. And I think that hurts. Uh, and it's the same thing for new England, their number one receiver in this game was Jacoby Myers who threw a touchdown pass in this game. And, you know, Julian Edelman's out, but I don't consider him a number one receiver. Um, and I'll just shift to the Patriots real quick. Uh, Cam Newton was only 13 to 17, 118 yards and a touchdown in the air. And he was 11 for 21 with a touchdown on the ground. So Cam, yeah, efficient, but still nothing really to be impressed with. And there was no score in the first quarter in this game and no score in the fourth quarter in this game. So all this was bunched together in the second and third quarter. And there was a legit monsoon. There was ugly in this game. I think the offensive troubles for both of these teams are real. However, that contributes to quite a bit of it so my question for you Matt is you know the Ravens now feel like they're kind of in a little bit of trouble here and they have the Steelers coming up on the schedule could we see this team fall pretty far back in the playoff picture yeah I mean I think we talked about it where we saw three teams coming out of this division with the Steelers Ravens and Browns Cleveland keeps on winning the cheap games Baltimore is looking worse and worse by the day I I I don't think the AFC is that good where the Ravens can't win against teams that they should beat. But to me, it, it does kind of feel free falling because those Miami dolphins aren't losing many games. 
So you got to start worrying about the Dolphins. The Browns, I, mean, I, I don't know. Their schedule's cake, too. Yeah. Their schedule's very easy going down the stretch. So, so we're looking at it. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. The Raiders look good. The, the Raiders just beat people up. we talked about them the other time. So, yeah, I mean, you're looking at a team that could fall all the way to the bottom part of the playoff picture, you know, that seven seed. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, it's possible. It's very much possible for this team. Yeah. So I think that they're in a little bit of trouble. They are in a large bunch of teams that are six and three, uh, five and four area. So um, I do think they are the best as far as defensively, especially when they are healthy, but uh, obviously some issues now. Um, My other question is now the Patriots four and five and they've won two in a row. Is there any scenario in your mind that the Patriots can make the playoffs? Because looking at their schedule, it feels like a long shot to me. Yeah, because what I think they got to play the Dolphins twice still, or did they already play them once? I believe they played them once. I'll pull up their schedule. Okay, so even that, I mean, and they they got to play the Bills. The Bills are not, you know, a cakewalk either. So, I, I to to me, it's the longest of long shots out of the AFC. They finished too far back to really see, you know, can they come ahead? I I don't know. I, I don't think so. so. The Patriots uh, at Houston. Uh, against the Cardinals at home, at Chargers, at Rams, so back-to-back games at SoFi, uh, at Dolphins, against the Bills, and against the Jets. It feels like 8-8 eight eight is the real real record for them this year. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that's what we both kind of called before the season started, too, is just kind of mm-hmm. like, this is an 8-8 eight eight football team. Cam Newton didn't improve them greatly, so I, I, I kind of feel we're at the beginning of where we, you know, where we started from here. Yep. Uh, anyway, I mean, I don't get a lot of upsets, right? So I'm going to claim that one and say, you know, uh, the monsoon helped me prevail in that, <laughs> that one there. So, all right. We have a whole rest of the slate of games we're going to talk about here. We're going to go rapid fire. Matt, why don't you start us off in another weather-affected game? Yeah, the, the weather caused this one to start a little bit late with some thunderstorms and lightning. So we saw the Cleveland Browns. I mean, this was a very uninspiring game, Randy. Uh, Cleveland won 10 to 7. Baker Mayfield just looked like, I, I mean, he's so inconsistent. It's not, it hasn't been looking good. He was 12 for 20, 132 yards. But Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt did a number this week. 19 carries, 126 yards for Chubb. He had a touchdown. Kareem Hunt had 19 carries for 104 yards. So kind of like what you predicted, the Browns were going to go run heavy. But you got to get more out of Baker Mayfield. I mean, this is not what you want to see. And then Houston. Man, could you just imagine what it's like to be Deshaun Watson right now, watching DeAndre Hopkins and that fun Arizona offense? Watson goes 20 for 30, 163 yards and a touchdown. Duke Johnson, their leading rusher, 14 carries for 54 yards. No David Johnson to be found. So that 1,000-1,000 season is dead. Put it in the grave. Cover it with dirt. It is over. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, their leading receivers, Randall Cobb, had the most yards with three catches for 41 yards. Granted, it was weather-related, so you kind of excuse them. But Brandon Cooks. Six receptions, 39 yards. Will Fuller, five receptions for 38 yards. This this Browns team is, you know, better than this Texans team. But both these teams you should be concerned about going forward. 
Yeah, no, um, pretty uninspiring game, and Nick Chubb cost a lot of people money at the end of that game by running out of bounds late. Uh, but he made the right move. So at the end of the day, you want to win the football games. Don't, who cares who bet on you at the end of the day? Uh, all right, moving on now. And it is breaking news because I had told you in the last show, the last time the Giants had beaten the Eagles was before the 2016 election. and It was only in honor of election week now. The Giants finally snapped their eight-game skid against the Philadelphia Eagles. Daniel Jones goes to his second straight game without a turnover Matt I don't know what's happening maybe it's the end of the world but we're here we're back <laughs> Giants win this game 27 to 17 excuse me Daniel Jones goes 21 to 28 244 yards and he stays on his feet for a, a nice touchdown run as well he finishes with nine carries and 64 yards and a touchdown. Um, and the Giants had a clean football game and they played good defense. They ran the ball and Daniel Jones did what he had to do to finish the game. He had a beautiful throw to Darius Slayton down the sideline and Darius Slayton made a wonderful adjustment to stay in bounds. Um, you know, look, look uh, this team plays hard for Joe Judge and that is a credit to him because when you're 0-5 and then you're 2-7, there's a lot to just give up on at this point. They are not doing that. So credit to them. They are 3-7 and and they've won two in a row. And yeah, and this crazy NFC East trash division, they are a game out of first place because they're game back in the loss column and in the tie column for the Eagles. So they are a game back. Um, and Philly had a real chance to just run away with the division in this game and they did not do so. Carson Carson Wentz, kind of bad at football in year five. He has regressed massively. 21 to 37, 208 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Just looking lost a lot of the time here. He gets sacked all the time. Their offensive line is not good. He is so inaccurate from time to time. It is just insane. Miles Sanders, welcome back. 15 carries, 85 yards. He had a nice day. Boston Scott only plays well against the Giants. He had three carries for 63 yards and a touchdown. He had a 56-yarder in there. And then, you know, a whole lot of just messy receiving numbers for the Eagles. And I'm not even going to get into it, but they are a mess. And I thought for sure after the bye, they'd be put together. They'd have a game plan. And at one point, they're down 21 to 17. And they just scored a touchdown. And they're down four. All I have to do is kick the extra point. And you're down three. Doug Peterson decides to go for it, which would only have made it a two-point game. And I did, the math didn't add up to me. Uh, they don't get it. They're down four still. Didn't really matter as much because the Giants put away the game uh, by tacking on two more field goals. But I just I don't understand for the life of me why they went for two there. It feels like to me the Eagles are just a random mess uh, of footballness. I, I don't really understand what their identity is. I don't think they know. But I, if I'm an Eagles fan, it would be alarming to me that Carson Wentz keeps getting worse this far into his career. And if I'm a Giants fan, hey, I'm the most negative person there is about the Giants because I don't believe in moral victories. Hey, you get the win, baby. All I want you to do is win these games. You finally beat the Eagles. I freaking hate the Eagles. I'm so happy they beat the Eagles. You're going to get positive me this week. I got nothing bad to say about them. They got two more very, very winnable games on their schedule, 5-11. and 11. Sign me up considering how bad it looked at the beginning, Matt. What do we got next? Well, we go to the team that the New York football giants have beat twice. The Detroit Lions are sitting at 4-5. and five. And the Minnesota Vikings are also at four and five now, and the Bears are at five and five. Keep it when, like three weeks ago or four weeks ago, the Bears were in first place. Now they're now they could realistically finish in last. Um, the Lions. This game was put away early. You felt like at one point, coming back out of the second half, it was twenty-four to three. Randy, here's an interesting just scoring barrage that happened after halftime. There were nine possessions. Seven of those possessions resulted in points 
for both teams combined. So Washington just Gibson goes off in the second half. Um, he had two touchdowns. And then also we had McKissick with a touchdown as well for the Washington. I got to put a point in the jar. The Washington Football Club, not the Washington Redskins. So taking a look at the numbers. Alex Smith, who we, I mean, I, I buried. I didn't think he was ever going to be back. 38 of 55, 390 passing yards. Welcome back, Alex Smith. Antonio Gibson, 13 carries, 45 yards, two touchdowns. J.D. McKissick, eight carries for six yards and a touchdown. Terry McLaurin getting the actual one carry for 27 yards, but he did have seven receptions for 95 yards. Now the supercharged Detroit Lions, Matthew Stafford, 24 of 33, 276 yards and three touchdowns coming back from an awful game the week before. DeAndre Swift, the leading rusher for this game, 16 carries, 81 yards. And I think the carry on Johnson era in Detroit for our friend Leon Tompkins is over one carry for three yards. The rookie DeAndre Swift getting more action, but Marvin Jones, eight catches, 96 yards and a touchdown. DeAndre Swift getting the action in the receiving game. Five care or five receptions for 68 yards and a touchdown. Marvin Hall, two receptions, 61 yards and a touchdown. This was an entertaining game, a fun game to watch. You don't know who's good. You don't know who's bad, but it was enjoyable. Lions come out of this with the win. Rename that award after Alex Smith, comeback player of the year. I don't care that he didn't win. He looked great. And moving on now to a game that we thought was going to be a blowout and the game that I took Packers and the points. Thanks for not covering. Uh, anyway, they win anyway, but 24 to 20 Green Bay over Jacksonville. Jacksonville put up a fight in this game for a long time. It looked like Green Bay could have lost. Uh, Jake Luton coming into Lambeau going 18 to 35, 169 yards and a touchdown. James Robinson undrafted, by the way, James Robinson, 23 carries for 109 yards. He looked great. DJ Chark, four for 56. Uh, Keelan Cole uh, always seems to find the end zone. This guy is the playmaker, five for 47 and a touchdown. And the Jacksonville, I don't know what it is. Their defense, you know, shows up on occasion. Uh, they did have some kick returns in here that were pretty interesting. Uh, um, the punt return, Keelan Cole had the punt return for a touchdown as well. He had three for 113 yards and a 91-yard punt return for a touchdown. Obviously, that helps keep you in the game regardless of uh, how poorly your offense is playing. But Green Bay escaping at the end here. Rodgers, 24-34, 325 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Aaron Jones, not, not playing well since he come back 13 carries 46 yards but Marquez Valdez scaling second straight week that he's been very good four catches for 149 yards and a touchdown and a 78 yarder at that this guy makes plays like long plays he's almost like that their their new Jordy Nelson I felt like Jordy Nelson scored a 75 yarder every week back in the day Devontae Adams, despite having a fumble, had eight for 66 and a touchdown he also is emerging as one of the best um, wide receivers in the game with the Packers Maybe this was a trap game for them and good for them, but they escaped. So Packers are now seven and two at the top of the NFC and uh, looking like one of the, the best teams record wise. But, you know, when you fall asleep against the Jags and almost lose it, there's some cause for concern. But regardless, you get the win and you survive in advance. Absolutely. A team that did not survive in advance this week was the Carolina Panthers, who are now three and seven. Take a look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Tom Brady looked good this game. For As bad as he looked last week, he looked equally as good this week. 28 of 39, 341 yards, three touchdowns. 
Ronald Jones went off 23 carries, 192 yards and a touchdown. I do have to put a little side note in there. He did have the longest rush this season, a 98 yard touchdown scamper. Quite the play. Chris Godwin, six catches, 92 yards. Mike Evans, six catches, 77 yards and a touchdown. Antonio Brown, seven catches for 69 yards. So they are definitely trying to utilize those weapons that he has. The Panthers, Teddy, two gloves, 18 of 24 for 136 yards and two touchdowns. Just end a pick. Uh, That ain't going to cut it. Mike Davis, seven carries, 32 yards. Teddy Bridgewater had three carries for 16 yards and a touchdown. DJ Moore, uh, this guy feels like if he's not on a fantasy team, there's something wrong in your league. Cause I mean, he, mm-hmm. he gets big plays four catches, 96 yards and a touchdown. And then Colin Thompson had one catch for seven yards and a touchdown. Uh, just overmatched. Uh, the Panthers were overmatched this entire game. You feel like even with Christian McCaffrey, I don't think it would move the needle much. This team has to do some soul searching and find out what they want to be offensively in the off season and really help that offensive line by getting better if they want to contend for the playoffs. Yeah. It feels like an all time Brady game and all three of those guys have similar stat lines too. So uh, Brady likes the warmer weather these days. That's for sure. All right. Moving on now to another uninspiring game. This game was a blowout. The Oakland Raiders improved to six and three with a 37 to 12 win over the Broncos. And I would say it's all Raiders and it was all good, but honestly, this was the Drew Locke bad show. Uh, he was 23 of 47, 257 yards, one touchdown and four picks. Not going to get the job done in the NFL. You're going to cost your team every game that you play in when you have four interceptions and the Raiders would take advantage. Derek Carr, 16 of 25, 154 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, but Derek Carr did what he had to do. And Josh Jacobs, 21 carries, 112 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, and Devontae Booker, he was getting some carries late in this game. He had 16 for 81 and two touchdowns on top of that. So the Raiders running the football down the throats of Denver. And then the passing game, you know, obviously Carr only had 16 completions, so not a lot going. Waller had a bad drop down the sideline, but he was 3 of 37 still. Uh, Henry Ruggs, 3 of 31. And, you know, this was all on the on the Vegas defense. Um, they were all over the Broncos, swarming them, and Drew Locke fed right into it. Uh, and they also had a fumble recovery from Deshaun Hamilton. So this game, all Oakland and 37 to 12, you know, that's not a good look for the Broncos. Drew Locke does have a a current injury problem, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, the Raiders also had two players, I believe, Cleveland Farrell and another player on the defense get put on the COVID-19 list this week. I believe it was Jonathan Abram. I'm not sure. Uh, But regardless, after a win like that, you don't want to see some defense players missing. But at the end of the day, Vegas getting it done against the in their division. They have the Chiefs coming up, and they already beat the Chiefs. So it'd be interesting to see if they could get it done again. You love this, this, these uh, Vegas Grudens, the Fighting Grudens. They, they have this totally his personality, and I'm here for it. So the Raiders six and three, looking like a, looking like a real playoff team here. Yep, I definitely like the Raiders in the playoffs. And going from one six and three team to another six and three team. I called this. I saw it. I love where this Dolphins team is heading, Randy. They beat the Chargers. 29 to 21. And realistically, it wasn't really all that close to begin with. At one point, it was uh, towards the end of the game, it was 26 to 14. They had on a field goal to win 29-21. Tua, it is Tua time. 15 for 25, 169 yards and two touchdowns. It's not pretty with him all the time. He makes some really spectacular throws. 
but I mean, this team's just the epitome of finding ways to win. Salvin Ahmed, 21 carries for 85 yards and a touchdown. I'm not sure if anyone knew of him before this week, but might be an interesting fantasy pickup there. Uh, Jakeem Grant, four catches, 43 yards and a touchdown. And Duran Smith, Durham Smith, Smythe, I'm sorry, two receptions for nine yards and a touchdown. Tua spreads the ball around pretty well. Eight different uh, Dolphins with catches. Uh, Justin Herbert came back down to earth against a really good Dolphins defense, 20 for 32, 187 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Kellen Balazs, 18 carries for 68 yards. Joshua Kelly, seven for 21. Herbert had four for 10 and a touchdown. Keenan Allen had three catches for 39 yards and a touchdown. Hunter Henry, four catches for 30 yards and a touchdown. Just really a defensive game for the Dolphins. They smothered Justin Herbert most of the game, really kept him in check, and they get the win. All right, moving on to a NFC West showdown. Speaking of six and three teams, uh, the Rams defeating the Seahawks 23 to 16. And my MVP prediction of Russell Wilson in the preseason looked awfully good after the first four or five weeks, not looking so good anymore. Russell Wilson can't stop turning the football all over, Matt. That's not kind of, it's not good when you have a bad defense, a bad offensive line, and it's not good for your MVP case. So you're not going to win games that way. Russell Wilson, 22 of 37, 248 yards, no touchdowns and two picks. He did not have a good game. Probably the worst game he's played this year. Uh, and the Rams defense is a big reason why. And, and, you know, we suspected that they would have an impact, but not, we didn't suspect it was going to completely shut down Russell Wilson, but credit to them. Jared Goff on the other side of the ball, 27 to 37, 300 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. I mean, the, the Seahawks defense is just the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, Goff looked great in this game, despite not throwing for a touchdown because the Rams would get three rushing touchdowns. Malcolm Brown, six for 33, two touchdowns. And uh, Daryl Henderson, 7 for 28 and a touchdown. Despite Cam Akers going 10 for 38 himself, the Rams would have nearly 400, almost 400 total yards of offense. I mean, this is not good for the Seahawks defense. Um, and it would be Josh Reynolds who outdid Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett. Uh, he had 8 for 94 in the air. And look, this game just comes down to turnovers because Russell Wilson, uh, there's a play where he has a wide open field to run and potentially run for a touchdown. Instead, he forces the ball to DK Metcalf, turns into an interception in the end zone. Can't make that play. That is a complete swing, momentum swing for any team. And then, uh, you know, he he made some plays on the ground. Still, he had eight carries for 60 yards. But uh the you know you DK Metcalf got the Jalen Ramsey shadow this this game two for twenty eight not going to get the job done there um, I think this team severely misses Chris Carson and even with getting J, uh, Jamal Adams back on defense there's just no inspiration there Jamal Adams looked like he was taking plays off they're constantly bringing pressure because they don't get pressure on their own up front the Seahawks unfortunately are in trouble and boy do they have a, their hands full with a game against the Cardinals on Thursday night football. As far as the Rams, we apologize for saying that they were good. Maybe they are good. They have four of their wins that are coming against the NFC East, but also two more of their wins coming against the NFC West. So the Rams are going to be in this playoff picture until the very end. I don't know if they make it or not, but uh, they're a scrappy team that has a, a damn good defense. And when things are going well for Jared Goff, he is an effective quarterback. So these two six and three teams are just part of an already stacked division. And uh, I don't know how it's going to shake out, but I don't like the way the Seahawks are trending right now. Yeah, not a good showing from that Seattle Seahawks football team. And moving on to impressive showings and alarming showings, we have the New Orleans Saints moving to 7-2 and two and the 49ers moving to 4-6, and six, I think effectively eliminating the 49ers from playoff contention, not mathematically, 
but I, I think that is uh, over for them this year because Nick Mullins goes 24 of 38, 247 yards, a touchdown and two interceptions. Just a really ugly game for Mullins. CJ Beathard came in for one pass incomplete. They, they were not able to get anything going on the ground game. I know Henry had to be frustrated watching this game. McKinnon had 18 carries for 33 yards to Michael hasty had three carries for 13 yards. And then just a bunch of guys with one carry and, you know, not a whole lot of yards. At one point, the 49ers were up 10 to nothing. Um, Thanks to Brandon Ayuk, seven receptions for 75 yards and a touchdown. Not a bad showing. But then New Orleans did New Orleans things. Drew Brees went eight for 13, 76 yards and a touchdown. We'll touch on the injury later, but it, it could have some uh, significant implications for this New Orleans Saints football team. Jameis Winston was six for 10 for 63 yards. Latavius Murray, nine carries for 57 yards. Taysom Hill, eight carries for 45 yards. Elvin Kamara had eight carries, 15 yards, and two touchdowns. I'm not sure if it's efficient, but I'll take it. But he also had seven catches for 83 yards and a touchdown. So that makes up for it. Michael Thomas, two for 27. Deontay Harris, four for 24. Um, Saints lost the turnover battle. They had um, two fumbles. And, well, no, they didn't have an interception. Nope, I take that back. The turnover battle was tied at two. So, with that being said, Saints moved to seven and two. What do you got next for us, Randy? Hey, Miss Jameis, I love it. Uh, typically on the show, we don't disagree on picks all that often, but when we do, I feel like I need to call it out, especially when I'm right. So, the Steelers <laughs> dominated the Cincinnati Bengals to remain undefeated at 9-0, which I said would happen, although we both thought it would be closer than this. Uh, and you had predicted the Bengals would give the Steelers their first loss, Matt. And uh, I got to say, this game was not close at all. These look like two completely different franchises at the moment and despite the future of the Bengals looking bright Joe Burrow did not play very well in this game 21 of 40 for 213 yards and a touchdown he got hit a bunch and he this was the first game I think he actually looked like a rookie it did it was kind of uh, raining a little bit I guess but Ben Roethlisberger he's the one guy I swear because he he didn't practice all week because of the COVID list I read a report that he threw 50 passes on Friday just to be warmed up he comes in at this game and goes 27 to 46 for 333 yards and four touchdowns and just says, here you go, Matt, you can take your L and shove it. Uh, and we talked about how Brady spread the ball around pretty well. This was a great game for the Steelers wide receivers and they are the best team in the NFL in drafting wide receivers. They have a well, uh, if you, if they draft a receiver in the first three rounds, just assume they're going to be good. Uh, Deontay Johnson, six for 116 in a touch. Juju Smith-Schuster, a nine for 77 in a touch. Chase Claypool, four for 56 and two touchdowns. I mean, this is Ben Roethlisberger doing his best Brady impression, just spread the ball all over the place and uh, not really rushing the ball very well. They only had 44 uh, yards rushing on the ground as a team, but they didn't even need to worry about that. They, they just dominated the Bengals from the very beginning of this game, up 12 nothing right off the bat, up 22-7 to at halftime, and it was just all Pittsburgh all game long. The Bengals had serious injuries at the cornerback position on defense. The Bengals have serious problems. Uh, they turned the ball over twice, and it's just, you know, they're not ready to face a team like the Steelers and compete against them. And I, you know, I thought maybe they had a chance against – in Cincinnati, but after this game, it just feels like the Steelers are just over going to overmatch them each and every time. But the Steelers now nine to zero with that undefeated uh, season, you know, kind of in the balance here. We, we've had this, the Patriots go twelve and zero a few times. It feels like since they started, they had that sixteen and zero season. 
We did the schedule game last week. They get the Jacks coming up here, so the most likely they're going to go 10-0. and They have a showdown against the Ravens the following week here, Matt. Have you changed your stance to the Steelers going undefeated or not? I, I don't know. I go back to that bye week being so early in the season, but they're in such a groove right now. You probably don't want a bye week anyway. I – I mean, as we start winding down and as we get closer to the end and as we look at their schedule going forward, I maybe they lose two games. I think one is likely, but, I mean, they, they have a shot at this thing, Randy. As long as Big Ben's healthy and those wide receivers keep on doing what they're doing, I, I no, I, I think, you know, they're in good shape. Yeah, they have as good of a shot as any, uh, unless the, the Ravens can beat them next weekend. Then, you know, I, I don't know, unless they totally uh, choke in one of these games, it's totally possible. So the Steelers have a great defense. They have a Hall of Fame quarterback. They have three stud wide receivers and a, a good enough offensive line. So the, the Steelers are in just as good a shape to go undefeated and as good a shape as anyone to make the Super Bowl. So uh, I'd be shocked at this point if the AFC title game wasn't Chiefs against the Steelers. All right, Matt, we're going to move on now and talk about the game of the week, potentially the game of the year, and definitely the play of the year. Uh, how do you want to do this? you want me to show the play now, or do you want to talk about the game and then show the play? You know what? Well, let's talk about the play first. Or let's talk about the game first, and then we can show the play. Just to set it up. Let's set it up on a tee. All right, Matt, take it away. Well, I, the game of the century. <laughs> Not the game of the century, but the game of the year by far to this point. Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk. I mean, it just feels like th they have this ability to kick it into another gear. And they were losing a very, I mean, I, I don't want to say it was uninspiring, but they were down, I believe, at one point by double digits, I think 23 to 9 at one point. Yeah. Um, yep, 23 to 9 going into, coming out of halftime. And then this is when the barrage starts happening. You know, Kyler Murray rushes for a one-yard touchdown. Then they get a field goal to make it 23-19. to 19. And then they get another touchdown. Kyler Murray, 15-yard touchdown scramble. And then they get an interception off Josh Allen. And, and that, that was the thing about this game. Josh Allen threw so many errant balls that could have been picked off by – you know, Patrick Peterson could have easily had two or three interceptions this game. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he didn't is kind of surprising, but man, th this, this game might be more an indictment on Josh Allen than, you know, the play was wonderful at the end, Randy, let's not kid ourselves. But when you're up 23 to nine sure. and you start turning the ball over, that's what turns that tide. When you can't extend drives, you know, they, um, uh, Three and out. So let's see here. So third quarter, they run seven plays and punt. Arizona fumbles on their for you know their first play. Um, then the Bills come back and score a touchdown, twenty-three to nine. This is where you know, okay, Bills have a chance. Then they march down. The Cardinals do. Kyler Murray gets that one-yard touchdown around, becomes twenty-three to sixteen. Randy. Then what do you do if you're the Bills? You feel the momentum. You have to answer here. You, this is where you could put the game away. Three and out. Then the, then the Cardinals get that field goal. Now it's 23 to 19. Okay, Buffalo, come on, answer, answer. You need to come with an answer. So what happens? Josh Allen throws that interception. And this is my gripe about Josh Allen. And this is the thing that I think people like, oh, well, you know, that game-ending touch to, or the, what we thought was the game-ending touch on the Stephon Diggs. That's a great throw. I'm not going to take that away from Josh Allen. 
but it should have never got to that point. You had mm -hmm. opportunity after opportunity to bury the Cardinals by 20 plus point uh, by double digits for the entire game. All you have to do is answer, sustain a drive, do this. But Josh Allen does what Josh Allen does. He's inaccurate at times and it causes you to lose games like this. So the, Josh Allen is the perfect quarterback to get you beat against really good teams. He'll have you knocking on the door, but when it matters most, when you need to answer those scoring drives, I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, Josh Allen, I think, could have had easily five interceptions this game. He only threw two, but Pat Pete usually dropped two right in his hands, and he had another errant throw uh, that was very close to being intercepted. And I can't count interceptions that aren't interceptions because Eli Manning would be the all-time interception leader if that was the case. But uh, I can, what I see in my eyes is that Josh Allen has accuracy issues. But I'm not going to talk about that. You just belabored that point. Josh Allen went 32-49, 284 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Uh, and I tell you, this Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, John Brown trio looking good for them as well. Beasley, 11 catches for 109 yards and a touchdown. Stephon Diggs, 10 catches for 93 yards and a touchdown. Jo John Brown left this game but had six catches for 72 yards. Um, and, you know, this was the game where you know, Josh Allen threw the, what we thought was the game-winning touchdown to Stephon Diggs with less than a minute left in this game. And then Kyler Murray – does something that we haven't seen too many times, but it feels like this building attracts this because Aaron Rodgers had a few Hail Marys against the Cardinals in that playoff game back in 2015. Um, the Giants, as far as I'm concerned, had the greatest play in NFL history, the greatest play in Super Bowl history in this building in the form of a Hail Mary to, with the helmet catch. So Matt, without further ado, I think it's time we have to show this play. <laughs> the, one of the most insane plays, and I think it's most people watching or uh, who watch this play would agree. This is the play of the year, bar none. Happened at the same uh, stadium as the helmet catch. That's what I just said, yeah. Yeah, that he is so fleet of foot. And that's not even a great ball. It kind of wobbles a little bit, kind of a duck in there. And how DeAndre Hopkins picks the ball out of the air, like he times his jump, everything is so perfect. The throw was really good outside. You know, yeah. you can't ask for a perfect spiral all the time there, Randy. But, man, that throw was – it was on the money. It was where it needed to be. And just a great catch by Hopkins. Yeah, I think the throw, I, I'm not going to criticize all that much. He's run into his left, uh, nearly out of bounds, almost gets sacked. He just, he sees a red jersey and chucks it. I mean, at the end of the day, it gets there and gives Hopkins a chance to make the play, which he does. I mean, this is Calvin Johnson-esque. This is insane. Look at that. Come on. Yeah, that that's just amazing. Um, I, I got to watch it one more time. Sorry. Um, before yeah, I no, close watch away. Absolutely. Uh, well, you're going to see this play all year, but I think this is the play of the year without question. Oh my. Every time I watch, I just unbelievable. Uh, I have Kyler Murray, my fantasy league that I care the most about this year. And it has been such a blessing. <laughs> uh, the, and what makes this play even crazier is look at the timestamp here. One second left. I mean, this game was over. No one thought the Cardinals were going to win this game. I mean, maybe they could have gotten field goal range, but they were, They needed a touchdown. And the fact that this happened is 
the like it was it almost felt like it was unbelievable this is why we love sports like things you don't think can happen actually happen and he was triple covered obviously two guys there the third guy comes in at the end but the focus from Hopkins the hands and the, the ability to pinpoint the ball at the highest points and bring it down makes DeAndre Hopkins the best receiver in the NFL and this is an opportunity now for me to bash Bill O'Brien for just giving him away for nothing if you're a Texans fan you you probably hurt more than Bill's fans right there because that play is ridiculous and you just gave that guy away for nothing because you didn't want to pay him and now the Cardinals are six and three have a chance to win the NFC West and are one of the teams in the NFC who could make the Super Bowl I don't know I I just think DeAndre Hopkins is one of those play, deals in the offseason that we probably didn't hype up enough Matt. yeah no I agree I I think it's one of those things where DeAndre Hopkins is so good and really we kind of put him in that top three range maybe even top two I mean, you got to take a look at it. I mean, he's in a really good situation for a guy that started his career with quarterbacks that you know, weren't too great. You're probably going to end your career with Kyler Murray. I mean, and you go from Deshaun Watson. This is a nice landing spot for DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better spot because what it does is it gives him a franchise quarterback that will get that extra second that extra time for Hopkins to get downfield if Murray is not able to escape that pocket that play never happens so the simple mm-hmm. fact that he was able to do that I mean mm-hmm. kudos to Murray Hopkins is just unreal he, he might be the best receiver in the NFL at this point I, I don't want to get into too much hyperbole but man that catch and some of the catches he's made this year have been absolutely unbelievably awesome so I give them a ton of credit yeah, we call that ice in your veins. And, you know, you want to come up in the big moments and when the lights are shining the brightest. I wish there were fans there to have been there because I'm sure the, the crowd shots um, would have been insane. I think there were fans there, but not as many as it would have been, obviously. But um, I think, you know, Matt, do you agree this this was the play of the year and the game of the year? So far, yes. I, yeah, I'm not going to argue any of those points. Catch of the year, game of the year. Yeah, I would go as far as to say that was the second greatest catch in the history of that building, second only to my guy, David Tyree. But I'm biased, so uh, you can throw that out the window if you want. All right, that is ridiculous, and we're going to talk about the Cardinals here in a minute. But we got some injuries and news to talk about. Uh, First, we're going to start off with Drew Brees. Uh, I'm going to pull up his exact injury diagnosis, but uh, he's going to miss a few weeks. He has a several rib fractures and a collapsed lung after getting absolutely walloped by a Niners defensive tackle. And he was shaken up from the start. You could tell right away. I believe it was number 95 street that hit him pretty good. I thought it was a shoulder issue looking at it initially, but it appears that it is a rib slash lung fracture. So it looks like it's famous Jameis time in new Orleans. I don't know. He's getting kind of old, Matt. Do you think he's going to return? He, he said he's optimistic. To me, the timetable seems off. Two to three weeks for a collapsed lung and multiple rib fractures. Yeah. I mean, for a 40-year-old guy, if I guess you come back from it. But I, I hope he retires at the end of this year. Because, I mean, he's still playing at an okay level. You see spurts of him aging, not so gracefully. But then you see him, you know, he still kind of has that ability to step it up. But to me, I don't want to see Drew Brees' last, lasting image of him being carted off the field. I hope he does come back in time for the playoffs. I hope, I hope they make the playoffs. So 
you know, hopefully this resolves itself and he's able to come back. I just, I can't believe the timetable, but yeah, Jameis Winston time. Let's see if he's learned anything with Sean Payton. Let's see if that LASIK surgery has improved his vision. I mean, he's one of the more epic players to watch because it's just either, you know, you're going to get something. He's either going to throw it to his team or the other team. You just don't Mm -hmm. know when. Yeah, he can pull do his best Teddy Bridgewater impression here and get a job next year for how well he plays. Uh, Breeze missed five games last year, and Teddy Bridgewater came in and won all five of those games. So we can see Jameis could have a whole new opportunity after this year, potentially be the Bears' starting quarterback next year. You know, depending on how good he looks here, Matt. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Teddy Bridgewater, he also uh, has a pretty bad injury that he left with, and thankfully, it is the opposite knee that he had explode on him essentially when he was with the Vikings that we all thought he ended his career at with. Uh, but it is the other knee. An MRI showed no structural damage, thankfully, so I don't know what exactly they're diagnosing this as, but it appears that he will miss uh, this game at least coming up here. Um, So, I don't know, Matt. I always hear Teddy Bridgewater knee. Eh, I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, for a quarterback that kind of relies on manipulating the pocket and being able to maneuver around within that pocket – the last thing you want is a knee injury, especially from a guy that's had such a devastating knee injury in the past. Hopefully it's nothing huge and it is a minor injury and he can come back soon because God, and the Panthers cannot afford to lose Teddy Bridgewater and CMC. Yeah. Which if, if Teddy Bridgewater's out, that means XFL star PJ Walker would get some playing time here, um, which I, I would like to see how he is because I, I know they gave Bridgewater a ton of money, but PJ Walker, very exciting in the XFL and was probably the MVP of that league before it shut down. Uh, and in other Panthers news, we're going to talk about another quarterback in a second. I know I'm skipping over the rundown, Matt. I apologize. But Christian McCaffrey was only expected to miss just one week, but apparently now the shoulder is worse than expected. Um, but <laughs> apparently he's going to miss multiple weeks. Let me just show up what, what, I, what I read here. Um, but I guess he's just, at the end of the day, he's just week to week. And Chris Mortensen reported that, and that, that's just not good for the Panthers, especially because they thought that was just going to be a one-week absence. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to shoulder injuries, you want to be careful, especially with a running back that utilizes his shoulders. McCaffrey's not – I mean, he's elusive, don't get me wrong, but he also likes to put his head down and, you know, try to run over the occasional defender. So that, that one's pretty significant. But, the you know, Panthers are three and seven. Get your guys healthy. Yeah, that feels like the it's the end of the end of the day here for the the Panthers. Um, all right, Drew Locke uh, played that whole game. He played hurt, but he did not practice today, and it is questionable to, for practice all week, really. And that means his status for the Sunday's game against the Dolphins is uh, also in doubt. But uh, he has sore ribs, apparently. Um, he had his issues before. He's dealing with muscle strain and bruising near his ribs. So it's not as serious as Drew Brees, but still, you know, they're not something you really want to, you know, you get hit one time in the rib cage, <laughs> you're going to be dealing with that pain the whole time. Yeah. And it maybe explains his performance a little bit <laughs> from this yeah. past week. So maybe cut him a break, but the, the Broncos, another team not really going anywhere, probably the worst team in that division. So I'll be interested to see what happens with Vic Fangio at the end of the season. Yeah, I'd sit out if I were him. I don't. I don't like rib issues. Uh, you're you're only asking for for it to get worse at that point. I feel so. I, I would I would take some time if I were him. Uh, and then in that Rams Seahawks game, Andrew Whitworth got rolled up on, uh, and he's heading to IR. 
luckily uh, carted off the field. He has a, three, a grade three MCL PCL tear, but his ACL is completely intact, which is obviously good. He's 38 years old, turning 39 next month. Sean McVay said that uh, he's hopeful that he can return in six to eight weeks. That would mean, you know, the playoffs basically. So his regular season is essentially done. A guy this age, it feels like this could be a career ender for his sake. I hope he can come back and play and, you know, get a few games in before he calls it, calls it a career. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's pretty significant for the Rams because he's probably their best offensive lineman. So losing Whitworth is not going to be a good loss for this team. Um, but for, like you said, for his sake, I mean, he's old. He's He's been in the NFL for a very long time. Mm-hmm. There's no shame in hanging it up, but I would like to see on him get some games in before he does right off to the sunset. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you don't like to see a guy with that, that age playing a position so physical like that get rolled up on. Unfortunately, it happens also all too often. So, uh, you know, wish him well. All right, moving on now. We have Thursday night football, and it's a great matchup. One team trending in another direction, another team falling off. It is the Arizona Cardinals at the Seattle Seahawks. Um, you know, this feels like a must win for Seattle. I don't want to call it that, but at least at the surface, Matt, that's what it feels like. Yeah, to me, this is a must win for Seattle. If they don't win this game, I think it's the Cardinals division because they won two games against the Seahawks. So this is vital for Arizona to win. And I I like Arizona in this game. I just, I don't think you can play that bad defensively and expect to win. I mean, even this division and the Cardinals have played better defensively than the Seahawks have. So um, to me, it's hard for me to look at this game and say definitively that, you know, the Seahawks can win. I mean, they're going to put Peterson on DK Metcalf and DK Metcalf didn't play that well against the Cardinals the first time around. Tyler Lockett had an unbelievable game. So you're going to have to ask that out of Tyler Lockett again. I do not like this matchup. And I, you know, for that reason, I'm going to go Arizona in this one, Randy. Yeah. um, A part of me thinks that like the high of an ending, like the Cardinals had, uh, and such a short, quick turnaround could affect them here. Um, I know on paper, it's like, yes, the Cardinals have been much better than the Seahawks as of late. Maybe the Seahawks use some of their uh, failures as motivation. You know, those those are tangible things you can't really calculate. But I think, you know, there's an aspect of this where, like, the Cardinals are coming off of a pretty big high there. And then maybe they celebrated a little bit too long after that. And they're not uh, quickly shifting gears. However, I can't just tell you for sure Russell Wilson's going to stop turning the football over. And I can't tell you for sure that the Jamal Adams and that defense is going to be able to start getting pressure. And even if they do, Kyler Murray is very good at evading pressure. So it is an all-time terrible matchup for the Seahawks here on Thursday Night Football. Uh, and I don't, I know that NFC isn't crazy deep, but – and, you know, if the Seahawks lose this game, there's a small chance they could start, like, you know, be leaning towards missing the playoffs. I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs, but they could be that seven seed by when we look back and go, wow, the Rams made the playoffs in that second wild card spot over them. And then, you know, uh, another team made the play, like the, the Saints or the Bucks made that, got that first wild card spot over them. And that could be bad when they have to go to Lambeau and place the Packers as the number one seed in the playoffs. So I think the Seahawks have to be very careful with how the playoffs are looking right now based on how well they've been playing. And, and one more thing I want to touch on before I give you my prediction I predicted in the offseason Russell Wilson an MVP. Uh, looked very good at the beginning, not looking very good now. And it looks like, Matt, I want to get your thoughts. Uh, it was a general MVP conversation. Kyler Murray looks like more of the MVP right now than Russell Wilson is. And it looks like it's not even that close. If you had to give an MVP right now, who is it going to go to? 
I, I'm going to stick with my preseason prediction of Patrick Mahomes. I, the, the guy doesn't turn the ball over. He's got one turnover this entire year, and he throws the ball probably more than any other quarterback in the NFL. So his ability to limit his turnovers and be that good at that position. I mean, he's Aaron Rodgers with a better, I mean, he's a better version of Aaron Rodgers who never turns the ball over. It really is. So, I mean, to me, it's Patrick Mahomes. And I know people can be like, well, you know, Kyler Murray's this, you take Patrick Mahomes off the chiefs. I don't know if they're beating these teams like this. You take Kyler Murray off the Cardinals, they're probably not winning very many games either. So it's kind of like both these guys are exceptional. I mean, we could say the same about Russell Wilson. But I I think what we're starting to see the separation from Murray to Wilson is Murray's not turning the ball over as much. And the separation between Mahomes and Murray is Mahomes doesn't take nearly the amount of sacks that Murray does. So – with, with the lack of turnovers and the lack of sacks and negative plays, I'm taking Mahomes. I think even Rodgers, you could put it there, like how many games are the Packers winning if they don't have a Rodgers playing at the level that he's playing at right now? And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw out a name right now that we haven't mentioned, but Big Ben Roethlisberger, uh, you know, we saw what the Steelers were last year with Mason Rudolph and with Duck Hodges. You know, the defense was good enough to get them to 8-8, eight and eight, but no one really feared playing them because of how bad they were offensively. Big Ben is a Hall of Famer playing at a level at his age that I don't think any of us really expected, but it's good enough to get them to be 9-0 with a chance to go undefeated on the season and as good of a favorite as anyone in the NFL. So I'm not giving the MVP to Big Ben, but I think there's a legitimate case that he's in the top five in the discussion. But I'm with you. I think it's Mahomes. You only have one turnover on the entire season. You only have one loss. Uh, you know, I think he's the best player in the sport. So I think this will be just one of several MVPs for Pat Mahomes. Yeah, Leon has an interesting name. He said Alvin Kamara is his dark horse. Generally, I for, for running backs to win an MVP award, they have to have an otherworldly season. Like mm-hmm. I'm talking 1,400 yards rushing and probably close to, you know, 800 yards receiving and over 20 touchdowns. And I just don't know if Kamara is going to get those numbers. It feels like Cook, if I had to pick a running back, Dalvin Cook would probably be higher on my MVP rankings because he had a nice tear he was going on there. Uh, and I think he's just as vital as the Viking success as Kamara is to the Saints, if not more. But I think those two guys, if you were to pick a running back, are the two. Agreed, yeah. Um, all right, so this game, two very exciting quarterbacks. Uh, I need my boy Russ to step up and uh, get, get back on track here so I could be right. But uh, <laughs> you're going to go uh, Cardinals here, I, I, right? What, what's, what's the score you got? Yeah, I'm going to take the Cardinals because I think the short turnaround actually helps them coming off that win because you immediately have to shift your focus. So I I think they have enough veteran leadership in Fitzgerald, Peterson, and even DeAndre Hopkins to get that focus turned over real quick. So I'm going to take Arizona 31, Seattle 30. Wow. You know what? I I believe Russell Wilson. I believe in Pete Carroll. I think they're going to right the ship here and get a a win with their backs against the wall, a win that they have to have here, and I think they're going to get it done. Uh, I'm going to say they're going to win this game 27-26. to Uh, My guy, Jason Myers, from Marist College, going to kick a game-winning field goal at the end. I should have said this in the game recap also. Jason Myers, who I attended the same college with, but obviously, uh, he kicked those season-long field goal uh, against in that loss against the Rams, 61 yards. So shout-out to my guy, Jason Myers. All right, Matt, before we say goodbye, give us some fantasy updates here. Uh, the 12-teamer, what's going on over there? 
I don't know how the hell I'm doing it, Randy. But right now, if the playoffs were start today, I would be the number two seed at seven and three with my top two picks or my I'm sorry, my top two of my top three picks out. And that's Cortland Sutton and Saquon Barkley. Um, like, I, I don't know. It's just completely garbage how I'm doing this. But as it stands right now, I am seven and three. Um, our East division, the leader is Akeel at five and five, Little Giants at four and six, lots of luck, three and seven, shit rockers, three and seven. Um, so the East division is kind of like the NFC East right now. The West division, it's really gone downhill, Randy. I am leading it seven and three. Our friend Arizona Outlaws, Corey Decker, is five and five. Easy breezy. Kevin Koo was projected to finish first. Now he is sitting at five and five. He was five and one. He is trying to do his best impression of the Chicago Bears, and he's doing a hell of a job of it. And then we have the pistol offense, Christopher Hopper at three and seven. Then the North. The North, this is like Game of Thrones, man. Like, winter is coming. The Mafia, Chris Frederick at eight and two. Then the Thunderbolts, EJ Fulbright, he is at seven and three. Felipe, growing the man, is at seven and three. And then Fammy, I mean, he's, Fammy's at three and seven. You know, like his name, Foles me once. Yeah, Foles is done and so is Fammy. Well, it sounds like things are getting pretty interesting over there in the 12-teamer because things are getting late early for me in the 10-teamer, Matt. Uh, let me pull this up. Uh, I lose to my buddy Anthony, 94 to 70. I fall to 4-6. and six. He improves to 5-5. Five and five. Uh, I am not doing too hot. I had two a star for me. He did okay. But I have a two-headed running back monster and Aaron Jones and Derrick Henry, and I'm 4-6. and six. I chalked that up to bad luck because my roster's loaded and I can't seem to get off the schneid. But I met Ryan and Julio Jones. I got all these players, and yet they all seem to underperform each and every week. So that's not fun. And then you, my friend, uh, Cutler's Attic, who cares? You fall to Aiden Schrader, 103.1 to 81. You fall to five and five while he improves to three and seven. That's a bad loss for you. You could have been potentially making a playoff push, but now it looks like uh, you're falling, in the, falling down the wayside like the rest of us. Uh, Mac attack is, uh, seven to three now after a 154, uh, to 90 win over Danny Dimes. Uh, Ricky Velasquez follows to blazing Brett Sanchez, 114 to 91 blazing Brett improves to six and four now second in the East division and giving, uh, Ricky, uh, uh, you know, his only his third loss, he's seven and three, but he's still in first. And then Torres Suck gets a win to prove to three and seven over Jacob Anthony Moses. Ready, set, yet, jet. Uh, he's now four and six, getting late early for him as well. So this is basically a pretty top-heavy league here. Uh, only a handful of teams over 500, and those look like the teams that are going to run away with this. Uh, you know, a 10-team league, all of us have decent rosters, but at the end of the day, you get luckier than others, and that's how it's done. Uh, but it is waiver wire Tuesday the day you need to put in your claims before the, the waivers get processed on Wednesdays, Matt, anyone you're, you got your eyes on before, uh, tomorrow morning. So Selvin Ahmad, I think for the dolphins is a sneaky, good pickup, um, at running back Brandon Ayuk, if he's not picked up, um, he should be on someone's roster. I think he's shown week after week that he's pretty good. Um, Myers from new England. I thought he has shown some things. So I like him coming out of new England. So, you know, just some guys to keep an eye on. Maybe, you know, I, I would say sell everything offensively on the Bears. If you own a Bears offensive player, just cut your cut your losses. It's time to move on. Look, I don't want to watch him, 
but I still enjoy Allen Robinson getting me fantasy points on my team. So I'm going to stick around with Allen Robinson. But other than that, I agree with you. <laughs> I do. He's a, the volume is, is, is important too. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll give you a few. Uh, if you need a quarterback, uh, Jameis Winston, I would look at it for your desperate Kirk Cousins potentially. Um, and Taysom Hill has quarterback eligibility. He also has tight end eligibility in the ESPN league. So Taysom Hill is going to play a lot. It could be a guy just to throw out there who might score some touchdowns. Salvin Almad, as you said, uh, came out of nowhere for the Dolphins. He's hardly rostered anywhere. I think that's a good call. Damian Harris for the Patriots has been up and down, but he is a strong runner. So I like him too. And Naheem Hines uh, for the Colts. That backfield is kind of a mess, but it seems like he has a role as the pass catching back. So I like him as well. Wide receiver KJ Hamler played really well for the Broncos last week. I don't know if that's a sign of things to come. I don't love the quarterback situation, but he's getting consistent value there as well. And then if you are looking for a receiver and the Packers receivers, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, or uh, I told you last week to pick up Alan Lazard. Lazard got put, taken off of the uh, injured reserve list this, today. So I would take either one of those guys if you were in need. So, uh, yeah, those are the guys I'm looking at. And, you know, I need some help in some leagues, so I'm hoping I can snag a few of those guys. So, all right, Matt, uh, tell us now before we say goodbye about some of the other shows underneath our, uh, our podcast or Life Group Umbrella, I should say. Okay, we're inching closer and closer to the NBA draft, and no one does it better. Wall-to-wall NBA coverage with Jacob Anthony Moses and Leon Tompkins, The Step Back, one of my favorite basketball podcasts, the first one I listened to to get my NBA news and my NBA draft. They had Felipe Melicio on there to go over the draft. They've had you on the show, Randy. We feel like they do a top-notch job. That's the Audible's official NBA podcast out of everyone. <laughs> then we move on to um, okay, well, not that one. So Friday, the Audible's back with you and I. I mean, we're, we're going to probably win a Grammy and an Emmy for one of these one of these days. So um, tune into us on Friday at noon Eastern, eleven o'clock Central Standard Time, ten o'clock Arizona Standard Time, and nine a.m. in the Pacific Standard Time. A lot of time ranges there. And then we go ahead and move on to Sunday with our Total Basis podcast, Felipe Melicio and Sean Connor Flannery, everything fantasy related, breaking down news, notes, everything you need to know about what's going on in the world of baseball. Very entertaining show. And of course, Dong City every Monday night. Well, I think every other Monday now. I think they're switching that up as well. But catch Dong City on Mondays. Everyone loves to watch them. Henry Maldonado and Vince Mercandetti do a fantastic job. We love them. You love them. So make sure you watch them. Yes, I am very proud of the work all of our, our team does here and go support all the other shows if you have not already. And I, I thank you guys so much for being a part of our show. And it's been a tough couple of days for me. I'm not going to get into exactly what, but I just want to say I appreciate all of you out there. You all mean a hell of a lot to me. And I want to just throw it out there. If you haven't told someone in your life that you love them, go ahead and do so because you never know when they're going to be gone. So uh, thank you guys so much for being a part of the show on Facebook live or joining us on YouTube or uh, wherever you're listening to us on any of the audio platforms, Spotify, uh, iTunes or Apple or, or anchor. We greatly appreciate all the support, no matter where you're listening or how you're listening. So uh, as Matt said, we will see you on Friday at noon o'clock, uh, noon o'clock. I almost said at noon <laughs> uh, on behalf of Matt Bushnell. I'm Randy Hammond for the audible. See you then.